Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of Football Insiders podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Pears, and today I'm joined by former England and Tottenham goalkeeper, Paul Robinson, and our guest today, Chelsea fan TV host, Alex Harris. In today's show, join us for an exclusive deep dive into the ongoing saga around Chelsea. You'll hear an update about Maurizio Pochettino and whether his job at Stamford Bridge is secure or at risk. Are the Chelsea Academy stars Shin Maweka and Zach Sturge the real deal? An FFP update and finally, is a potential summer sale inbound for the Blues? We also discussed the potential points deduction for Nottingham Forest, Manchester City's alleged 115 PSR breaches and what a potential sanction could look like. And finally, an analysis of Klopp's stars as many new talents have emerged from the academy at Liverpool. Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, make sure to give our pod a top review and rating. This helps us to produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. All right, Alex, to start with, we're going to talk about Chelsea, of course. Now, you lost the Carabao Cup final to Liverpool in the last minute of added time, in extra time, that is. But you beat Leeds just about last night in the FA Cup. So the question is, how are you feeling about Maurizio Pochettino? Yeah, we just about beat Leeds. Um, Yeah, where do I start? Where do I start? Like, I just want to say, first of all, when I say this, please understand that I I am Pochin, but... Don't think that based on what I'm seeing at the moment, that's why I'm potching, right? Um, potching, that sounds like a new dance craze. <laughs> He's got <a> potching. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? The, the thing is, right, every time I say it, I feel like, I feel like, I don't, I don't even know what to say anymore, to be honest. Even after the Leeds win, like, we didn't look great. I'll be honest with you. I was happy with what I saw in the cup final. But for me, Chelsea's just so unstable. Like, we've got no stability. And the one thing that we can do to try and get some stability is just keep our manager. Can we keep our manager for longer than a season, please? Um, and people go, well, you, you don't have high standards. Where, where's your expectation? What, why, are you so, what, why are you so mediocre? And then I say, well, hang on a second. Last season, we finished mid-table. We're mid-table this season, but we're still better than we were last season. We were out in the first round of the Carabao Cup last year. We were out of the FA Cup in the first round last year. We got to the Carabao Cup final. Obviously, I'm not happy we lost, but it is a progression. And people don't want to admit it. You know, we've done well even to get to the final by by, by that virtue, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, if I'm going to be blunt, uh, I just think the Pochettino's working with a group of players aren't good enough, you know. Um, and it's, it's sad to say, um, but it's true, you know, that a lot of these players... Uh, a bums. That's that's honestly the way I look at it. You know, I think that they've got potential. You know, but if you're looking at what Chelsea have been, what Chelsea want to be, uh, we're nowhere near. And you know, I, I was I was looking at it this morning. I wrote a list. There's only three players that I actually look at, and with with the over a billion pounds that we've spent, and I say, well, you've got your money's worth there. And that's Petrovic, Gusto, and Palmer. Even Enzo, Caicedo. You know, they're, they're decent. It's not over 100 million, though, you know. So there's so many parts of the puzzle with Chelsea. The question is, which part is working? And the answer is, so far, none of it. Um, <laughs> and that, that's obviously the owner's fault because they've done horrific business and, and there's no doubt about that. But they've committed to a project now and I will maintain support of that project 
providing we stick to our guns. If we sat Poch, for me, it's over. Chelsea are in Well, Alex, we, we know that his contract ends next He's up next season with an option to extend. Do you actually see him finish, finish finishing his contract at the club? Is it likely that he will stay? And what, in terms of a fan's perspective, with the camp of Poch in versus Poch out, what would you say that split is between the fans? 50-50, definitely. I think, I think that... Um, it, it was it was more in favour of Poch being in, um, and then the cup final. Yeah, the cup finals really split people. Um, the the pro the problem is this: if you look at it game by game, it's hard to defend it. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> I've been going to all these games, and tactically, Poch is is not great. Like uh, Poch is not a tactician. His in game management, it's never been something he's renowned for anyway. But I'm trusting Pochettino based on what I know he can do. And he did a lot better with worse teams. Southampton, Spurs, and even PSG. People talk about how bad he was there. He was at mid-table with PSG, you know. So, but that's a different conversation in itself. So, for me, if you don't give him a season, you're not even giving him a chance. And you don't judge managers uh, on half a season. You judge them on a full season. Look at Graham Potter last year. Sack him after six months. Did things get any better? Absolutely not. I don't want to see another interim coming in, but actually, I think that ship sailed anyway. Um, I don't think Poch is getting sacked this season. That's not going to happen. Um, but ultimately, without European football, we're getting nowhere. And, um, you know, we need at least Conference League. Like, as long as we get Conference League, I feel, I feel like he's in a position to be defended. Pochettino because he is progressing the football club as as slow as that is and as as painful as that seems we are getting better we've gone from no European football to some form of European football and I don't know which names we're going to retract with conference league but at least we'll be able to rotate you know we won't have a week to wait before every single game you know one thing I can say is with the domestic competitions we've been lucky that we've been able to get as far as we have in the Carabao Cup and hopefully we can do the same thing with the FA Cup because that way we can give players some game time because we've got all these young so-called superstars in the making. I'm not seeing much happening as it stands, but, you know, without cup competitions, it's it's, it's going to be impossible. And again, we're going to have to sell key players. We've got Matson is probably going to go. Uh, Chalaber's going to go. Gallagher might go. So... I don't really know, you know, if we can get into Europe, there's a chance. If we don't, I honestly think we're in big trouble. I think we'll come to players leaving in, in just a minute. But Paul, I wanted to ask you, of course, on the weekend, Gary Neville's iconic line of blue billion pound bottle jobs. That is a line that stuck out from the Carabao Cup final. What were your thoughts? Was it actually harsh of Gary to say? Or actually, do you think it was a fair summary of what's happening at Chelsea at the moment? I think it was just his choice of words that I think he probably regrets that. Um, I think you can understand what he was saying in the way that they played an extra time a team that Liverpool had out of inexperienced youngsters. And then you look at Chelsea playing for penalties uh, at the end of the day uh, and the way that they played. I think it's the way that they approached the cup final. They'll never have a better opportunity to win a cup final. I mean, Liverpool were there for the taking, even in normal time. You look at the injuries that Liverpool had, you look at the players that they had out, the opportunities that Chelsea had in the game, um, not to take the game to Liverpool and go and win the game in extra time. And to play the way they did in extra time, I think is is what was disappointing. Um, but I think that's that's been a story of their season. I mean, potentially, um, Pochettino, Gallagher saved his job last night, potentially, if they'd have gone out of the FA Cup. I mean, Alex touched on there about being mid-table and pushing for Europa Conference League. I mean, Chelsea, Conference League, really, in Europe? 
I mean, it's it's a conversation that you wouldn't even you wouldn't even think about entertaining. And by the way, there's better teams that are above them that are going to stop them getting in there this season as well because they're not performing well on a consistent basis. They're 11th, I think it is this season. What did they finish last season? 12th. So you, you talk about progression. That they, they look like a team to me that are just treading water that have spent a lot more money than they did at this point last season. Pochettino, yeah. I've, I've said many times that I, I like what they're doing, but I'm just not seeing any kind of shoots of, not recovery, but any kind of growth. You, they seem to turn a corner and then come back around the same corner again. With Pochettino, <laughs> with the age group of the players, with the age of the squad, you can understand what they're doing but it's not working. You have to put a mix of experience in with those players because I said from the start of the season, I said, I look at the players that they're buying, look at the quality of the individuals, but they're not proven to be that quality of an individual. They're not proven to be that level of player. Pochettino's not got them together in a certain way. He plays the same way most weeks, if not every week. He'll play a four with the two holding midfielders with a three and behind a main striker. They're hugely lacking a striker. So what they're going to do is spend more money. I think the Chelsea fans will be absolutely enraged if Conor Gallagher goes. I mean, technically, he may not be the best player in the Premier League, but his attitude, his, you know, his application, his heart on his sleeve, the way that he plays is the epitome of a Chelsea player. And that's what the Chelsea fans want to see. If everyone in the Chelsea shirt had the same attitude and application as him, yes, they might not be as good as him or they're not be performing to a level, but the minimum requirement is maximum effort. And there's too many players in a blue shirt that are not given that this season. And I have to disagree with you there, Paul, because I, I would I would argue that the players are trying. They're just not good enough. And that goes back to the lack of quality. Because from last season, I think the effort is 10 times better. You know, I, I see players running. I see players trying. We just It's like the cup final. We just can't put the ball in the back of the net. We've well, got no, no quality. Pounds plus worth of two midfielders is not good enough. I mean, you look at the players. It's not the players' fault what, what they pay for them. But you look at Raheem Sterling, you look at Caicedo and Fernandes, for example, your holding midfield is worth more than two hundred million pounds. And well, you say it's good enough. I would I would I would definitely say that about Sterling. I mean, in terms of Caicedo and Enzo, I think they're decent. I just think the the price tag is far too much. So then the expectation is through the roof as well. But I will agree with you on the fact that I don't think Sterling gives enough um in that sense. But the team as a whole. I generally, I generally, I do see a togetherness, and and that's the thing that that has a massive split for me. Like I, I do see a team that's trying. We just, we just don't have any cutting edge, and that might come down to tactics, um, or or again, just lack of quality, and and that's where I struggle to understand where things are going wrong. That's and, surely recruitment, then, isn't it? I mean, you you spend oh, a yeah. amount, and you're sat there saying that they're all trying really hard, but they're not good enough. And they've spent yep. a billion pounds. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, Alex, if, if he is to go, you know, let's say it's in the summer or if, it's, if he does get to the end of his contract, who do you want in? Would you want someone like Amarin, Robert De Zerbi? Or actually, do you think that Pochettino's ceiling is higher than most of the managers that have been mentioned in that conversation? Or oh, Jose. Oh. Or Jose. Um, I don't think Jose is coming back. I don't see it. Um, Would you take him back, though? No. No, no, I wouldn't. I would have taken him instead of Poch. Um, I didn't want Poch, you know, and that's why people are confused as to why I support him. I support <laughs> Pochettino because 
I think that's the best way to. I, th I think that keeping the manager is the best way to progress the team as it stands. I'm not saying we need to do an Arsenal and have Pochettino for four years and gradually climb up and finish outside the top four for a couple of years. That's not what I'm saying. But I think Pochettino is the kind of guy who can get us back into those top four spots, whether it's in two years or three years. And then we can bring someone else in who can finish a job. Because for me, I mean, the billion pound bottle job, you touched on it earlier. It is harsh, but it's true. We did bottle it. Um, ultimately, the players let Pochettino down, uh, but he also let them down in extra time with some of his changes. I didn't understand that at all. And we go back to the in-game management. If Mourinho was at the club, I'm sure we would have a small bounce back. I'm sure he would play better football in certain games. But is that sustainable? Does that really give the club stability? You know, whenever he leaves any club, it tends to be an absolute mess. And even though he was very committed to Roma, uh, it was probably a smart decision getting rid of him because uh, De Rossi doesn't seem to be doing terribly um, since he's taken over. Um, I, I don't want anyone to come in, you know, unless we miss out on European football. If we miss out on European football, I can't defend Poch, but the owners might stick by him even, even with that. Um, so I don't know what they're planning. I don't know their goals. I've spoken with a couple of people from, from the directors. I know Daniel Finkelstein and and people like that. And, uh, you know, they 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 like Poch. But ultimately, it's, it's going to come down to results, isn't it? And, and just going to have to wait and see. Alex, would you put that much impetus on a Europa Conference League place from a fan's point of view? I mean, from I a would. fan's point of view, would you love to see Chelsea in the Europa League, the Conference League? I mean, I look, look what it did for West Ham and all the rest of it. But would you not prefer him to have a, a, a time to, um, he's got time to build, he's had time to build this season. But that, that would be seen as a, a success. Absolutely. And that is how far we have fallen. And that's a, that's a sad conversation, but that's the reality of our situation. Um, I cannot I cannot tell you how painful last season was, Paul. Um, people don't don't talk about it enough. They just don't talk about it because we've still been pretty poor this year. I mean, it is so much better than last year. Uh, and I'm not joking when I say that. But um, I think it's so as... I mean, how long ago was it you Champions Europe, Champions League? I mean, that's I mean, how long ago was that? That's a matter of a couple of years ago, isn't it? I was in Porto. And yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, those, those are great days. We, we used to win. We used to go up to cup finals and we used to win and it wasn't even a surprise. You know, now I'm surprised if I can beat Crystal Palace. <laughs> so, you know, that is that is where we're at. I mean, no, it's going to be so crucial for us um, to get into Europe, any form of Europe. I don't care what form of Europe it is. I don't care how we get there. As long as we get there, you know, in my eyes, that is a progression, right? I'm not going to say that's a success, but it's a progression. A successful season is if we, if we can win the FA Cup. You know, silverware, um, there's no denying that. You know, not many teams can can do it. If we can still do it in this form, imagine when we actually fulfil our potential, then we can be challenging on all fronts. Um, but, yeah, from a match-going fan perspective as well, obviously, if you go to Conference League, you go to all different types of stadiums. So it would be nice to, uh, you know, experience some of the... Well, some different stadiums that I've never been to before. <laughs> that 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 to me sounds like you you sort of you would take it 
But actually, it's it's less really about the excitement. I think if someone offered you Champions League, you'd much rather oh, be going to Bayern Munich than going to. But I, I I take the point absolutely, Alex. From a fans' point of view as well, there's of course there's been some really exciting news as reported from Football Insider about Shimura Mureka and Zach Serge potentially having you having to pay seven point six five million for the duo from Brighton. Can you give us any insight on those two? And actually, what were your thoughts about that? Because of course, that actually does mean there is more money that's being fed to Brighton. There you go. There you go. So, what can I say? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing um, that we're still going after Brighton. I mean, to be fair, with um, who was the director of recruitment we just signed from Brighton? We beat United to him. Um, do you guys remember his name? No. We just signed one of Brighton's directors of recruitment. United were in for him as well. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And and that was actually good business. That was one of the first time I said to myself, actually, this sounds pretty good. He, he's overseeing the whole um, recruitment structure for Blue Coast, so not just Chelsea, Strasbourg as well. Um, but no, this doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, especially if FFP is a problem. Um, why are you pumping so much money into players? I don't even know who they are. I've never heard of them. You know, they're not even 21. You know, we're complaining about, you know, Wait, the, the GCSEs. Oh, God. Well, oh. Alex, because I was going to say, in terms of a, in terms of a feeder club now, it's Graham Potter, Robert Sanchez, Kukurea, Moise Caicedo, the two that, that have been at the club now since the summer of 2022. That's £225 million pounds spent on players okay. and staff from Brighton. How does that feel? Because in, in one way, they are effectively now a feeder club to you. But actually, when you look at that list of players and manager you had in there as well, hasn't really been that much of a success. Well, we're getting our pants pulled down, aren't we? I mean, that that's obvious. Um, but you know, fair play to Brighton. You know, they're 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 holding the carrot, and and we're we're going for it. So, I don't know what to say. Um, personally, I can understand Bowley's and Clearlake's idea. Um, I, I I know when they first come in, they wanted to follow a lot of different models. You know, they were looking at Liverpool with FSG. They were looking at Man City with the multi club model. Um, and then and then Brighton as well with the recruitment. So I, I think they're almost trying to implement all three of those styles. Um, Liverpool, in terms of trying not to sack the manager, uh, that's worked well so far. Then you've got the recruitment from Brighton, and then you've got the multi-club model with Man City. And, um, I mean, Strasbourg hate, hate, hate Blue Coat, obviously. Chelsea don't really like Blue Coat. Um, there, there, there's not a lot of love for, for the owners, and... Look, don't get me wrong. I'm, 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 I'm not sitting here saying that we've got the Glazers because they've put their own money in. But again, I would say the only reason they're doing that is because that was con that was contractually obliged because of the sale from Abramovich. They were, they had to put that money in under the contract of sale. The only difference is they've done it all at once rather than spreading those payments across however many years. They're just pumping it all in straight away. So. I mean, it's, it's hardly smart investments um, from what you can see, but certainly willing to take risks. Um, you can't deny that. And we would all be sitting here saying that Bowley's a genius if we were sitting here top of the league. You know, nobody's ever thought of, of this plan before, um, but they're going for it. For me, yeah, you've, you've got to focus on ready-made players. If, if we're going and doing this business with Brighton and then we go into the summer and we're penny pinching, then I have a serious problem with this ownership. I'm not there yet, but I'm I'm certainly getting there because we had a, a, a bid rejected for Victor Gorkarez in January, a, a decent bid. I think it was about 80 million. Um, 
And then we've got Osman Tony that will be available in the summer. Gorkarez will probably have uh, suitors for him as well. Um, there's just there's just there's just a good market for strikers, and now is not the time to be spending silly money on silly players I've never heard of. And you know, I'd love to know what the contracts are for these kids as well. Like, what are we talking about? If we're signing them for, I think it's sixteen million between them. I mean, what are we paying these guys? They haven't. You said they haven't even finished their GCSEs. And Paul, do you think it's harsh to, we've heard Alex's point of view, do you think it's hard, harsh to judge the team given the youthfulness of the side or actually given that, as we've kind of discussed just five minutes ago, how expensive most of these players have been, are we allowed to actually criticise and say, well, do you know what, they aren't performing to the level that they should be with price tags on their heads? Well, we criticise every other team and manager, so why not? I mean, you know, it's not players' faults for, for what the price is paid for them. And like Alex quite rightly says, when Chelsea come knocking, the price tag goes through the roof because they know the resources that they've got and they know the recruitment, the, the scattergun policy that they've got of going to recruit young talent, top talent, and they, they, they've overpaid for a lot of players. And I mean, we, we talk about it at Manchester United all the time. Look at Anthony. I mean, he's nowhere near a 90 million euro player, but it's not his fault the club paid that for him. But with, with Chelsea now, you look at the recruitment, you look at the structure, and you, you talk about these two youngsters that they're signing from Brighton. You know, they're trying to put the, the foundations in for the future, when actually what's the, the the focus point at the moment is is the first team. And the FFP thing worries me for Chelsea. It really does. Because you look at the the lines that um, Forrest are towing at the moment, that Everton are towing at the moment. You look at what happened in the transfer window in January. Everybody was scared stiff. Nobody did anything because of this FFP, the financial rules. Everybody was trying to thin their squad out and get rid of players. No longer now can you give players eight, nine, ten-year contracts to spread the payments over a certain amount of time. When these rules change come the end of the year to fall in line with UEFA's rules, the FFP rules change, I just wonder where Chelsea are going to sit in all that. Their recruitment, yes, we know what it's been like. You question why they're paying 14, 15 million for other people's youngsters. Why are they not coming out of their own academy at that age? If you invest in your academy, you invest in your recruitment system at that age. Why do you need to go paying that amount of money for other Premier League teams' academy products? Why are you not producing your own? But I think there's there's so many holes that you, you can pick. And I mean, you know, we've, we've picked a topic today. We've picked Chelsea to talk about. And like we, we could be here all day discussing what's right and what's wrong. The truth is they've gone for this policy. They've recruited young players. They're recruiting the best what they think young players. Financially, yes, they have massively overpaid for, for a lot of the players. But... This is a project that needs time. This is not an overnight fix. I think they've got to go through a little bit more hurt before they get to where they want to get to. But if Todd Bowley believes in this process, if he believes in Pochettino, the age of his players, they are going to mature. They are going to get better. Alex has sat there and said for the last 12 months, this is so much better watching Chelsea than last year. And from somebody who watches Chelsea every week, that's interesting to hear that because he sees them week in and week out. From a Chelsea fan's point of view, there's actually seeing progression. You look at the league table, you look at the statistics and everything points to the fact that they're pretty much where they are last year. But actually for somebody who watches them every single week saying, no, no, they're actually getting better, then maybe the process is working. Maybe trust the process. But as we know, we work in a results business. Three, four, five defeats, uh, mid-table league finish for a club the size of Chelsea where you'd expect them to be competing in the Champions League. You'd expect them to be in cup finals. How much patience do the, do the owners have? If this was a Roman Abramovich ownership, Pochettino would have been gone about three months ago.
And yeah. Alex, are you are you concerned about FFP? You know, Paul kind of mentioned it in there. You know, it looks like you might have to be raising at least one hundred million pounds in sales before June thirtieth, or you could fall foul of the PSR rules. How much of a concern is that? I know there are players that you mentioned previously. You mentioned Matson, Lukaku, who's been spoken about, Lewis Hall, but that must still be a big concern going into the summer window. Well, if we if we do good business in terms of getting rid of players, it won't be a concern because. Lewis Hall doesn't want to be there. Lukaku doesn't want to be here. We don't want Lukaku. Uh, Matson's going to go to Dortmund. I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't cough up. Um, I think it's 30, 35 million. Um, you know, so that, there's 100 million right there. I mean, it, it, it's not going to be difficult. And if you want the cherry on top, Chalobah, and I don't think we'll be forced into selling Gallagher. It's just if the price is right. You know, people have, have spoken about, 50 million and, and that was way too low when when West Ham were looking to uh bring him in you know I hear more of the 70 million pound mark if I'm honest with you 70 million pounds for Conor Gallagher I mean that is ridiculous you know for a guy who scored two goals in the Premier League this season that is unbelievable um but then again it comes back to what I was saying um you know this is a team that, that give their all and, and Gallagher embodies that you know, and, and he does still have good qualities. But you know, I, I, I used to go and watch Crystal Palace every now and then. And I remember watching them when, when Gallagher uh, played for Palace. He looked better at Palace than he looks at Chelsea. God honest truth. Um, you know, so he's not in a small pond anymore. He's not a big fish in a small pond. He's in a big, you know, he's in a, he's in a massive club. And you've got to outshine players much more than that if you want to dominate our midfield. I mean... To give you an idea, Mudrich played in the 10 against Leeds. And for the first time in a long time, I actually think he looked very comfortable. Um, but then we're not going to see Mudrich develop into that role because Gallagher's there. Um, Chuk Wameka, again, beats Gallagher to the number 10. Palmer, if Pochettino played different wingers, Palmer would replace Gallagher as a 10 because you get more output. Um, and ultimately, in, in those positions, you, you've got to do more. You've got to score more. You've got to assist more. Um, he did obviously get the winner against Leeds, so fair play to him. You know, I'm not sitting here saying he doesn't contribute anything. You know, he's been a solid player for us this year. But if we're looking to level up, uh, and I'm not looking at squad morale or, or energy, I'm just looking at pure quality of footballer, I wouldn't start Gallagher, you know, it wouldn't make any sense to me. You know, you play him as a pivot, he's not as good. Uh, you play him in a 10, you're restricting the other players that you want to develop. So you have to choose. Um, if the price is right, I'm, I haven't really made my mind up if I want him to stay or go, to be honest with you. I don't feel like anything's set in stone. Um, but if we did accept a bit of 60, 70 million, I mean, you can't really argue with that, can you? Listen, that's hugely interesting for me from from an outsider looking in because you, you you see Gallagher and you see the relationship he's got with the fans and every time he seems to play, he wears the armband and he embodies what Chelsea are about. For you yeah. to say that there, I mean, when you when I mean, we know the injuries that Pochettino has got. I mean, I'm looking at it now; you're almost in double figures again. The injuries, the players that he's got missing. If you had a fully fit squad to choose from from a Chelsea fan's point of view, you wouldn't put him in in your starting eleven. And actually, if he did go for a decent price, you'd be quite all right with that. Well, we played our best football in pre-season and Gallagher wasn't a 10. Uh, right. It was, it was Chuck Wemeka, you know, and then we had... The season really well, didn't he, until he got injured. I remember I was at the game, he got injured. It was fantastic. The way Pochettino tried to accommodate him was as a, as a pivot, but that was before... Um, I'm trying to think. That might have been before we brought in Caicedo. I'm not 100%. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Gallagher, again, a good player. I wouldn't have a problem with him being in the squad. 
the only thing is that I think he's one of those players that divides opinion, a bit like Mount. Um, but he hasn't had the output that Mount had at Chelsea. You know, the drop off with Mount, you know, he got heavily criticised because he'd had he'd had good seasons and he'd been our player of the year. I'm not seeing that with Gallagher. And if he is our player of the year and we were to get rid of him at this point, I'm sorry, but you're not really competing against much. So are you, you know, so are, are you more confident then in Enzo and Caicedo? I'm just intrigued because actually at the weekend, I thought that for Liverpool, McConnell came on and actually ran the show. He, he looked like the £100 million player and the other two looked like they were academy boys. Whereas I think actually the difference with Gallagher is like we saw at, at Crystal Palace that he does put in effort every week and actually he does often perform, even if he's someone that doesn't get the numbers necessarily. Or, or do you see it differently? Well... You know, there's players in League Two that give 100%. Like, <laughs> this is going back to what I'm saying about quality. We need more output. You know, I, I again, I don't have a problem with Gallagher. I don't dislike him. I, all I'm saying is that if the price is right, it's really hard for me to justify not selling him because you can promote other players that you've brought in, the club have brought in, who have been restricted of game time because of Gallagher. And then you wonder why Madrid doesn't do well when he comes on in the cup final as a sub and his confidence is shattered. It's because he has no game time. Um, he gets he gets in the number 10 at Leeds. He has a good game. He scores. I believe if he plays as a 10 more often, he would get more contributions. Um, and and that, that goes for Chukwemeka as well. I mean, to be honest with you, even when Chukwemeka comes back, if Gallagher's in decent form, I'd still start Chukwemeka because I think that Chukwemeka is, is up there with Cole Palmer in terms of pure ability and in the few minutes that he's had I've never seen Chukwemeka really play too bad in a Chelsea shirt you know he he lit pre-season on fire he looked good when we played against um West Ham I remember he scored one of the opening goals and then he got injured it was unlucky I think Pochettino just had a dilemma right and and I suppose I understand why he stuck with Gallagher because Gallagher's not letting him down right you know what you're going to get from Gallagher and he's consistent in that sense. He's always a six or seven out of ten. Um, that's fine. But uh, if you want to progress, you need more than a six or seven out of ten. Um, I'm not saying he hasn't had really good games. He has. But so, Alex, surely you... we're a little bit better than this, guys. Would you let him go to Spurs? If Spurs come knocking at 50, 60, 70 million, would you let him go? Because Paul's commented on that before. But from a Chelsea point of view, you've effectively just said that you'd be willing to let him go at virtually any price. So if, you're, if your rivals come in, what are your thoughts? If we if we were to use that money to buy a, a striker like one of the three I named earlier, yes. If we were not using that money for anything, like if if we wanted to invest in another sixteen year old from Brighton, then no. All right, as long as we we use our money in an intelligent way, you know. The, the problem is I don't know where the money's going. I don't understand where it's going. So look, we've put all this money into into young players. What have we learned? We've learned that we need a little bit more experience and quality. So let's just try and gel it and then we can we can get there. You know, last season we had a lot of experience, a lot of youth, but there's just too many players. We've cut down the squad. We certainly have a better morale. I can vouch for that. Um, we just lack quality now because we have too many young players. And uh, next season we just need a little bit more quality. And then I believe that we can start um, actually kicking on. But you know, the, the business we've done doesn't really give you much encouragement, does it? I mean, if 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 we're looking at Lawrence Will Stanley and um, sorry, Lawrence Stewart and Paul Will Stanley, 
I mean, they, they, they've hardly made a name for themselves at Chelsea. I, I, I think most Chelsea fans would tell you if they were to go tomorrow, would be quite happy. Um, you know, we had a perfectly decent director with Christian Vivelle, um, who came from Salzburg, and he left because nobody listened to him. Why would you not listen to the most experienced guy in, in this position who's actually competed at, at Champions League level? You're listening, you're putting Brighton there. <laughs> oh. So, I mean, for me, it's just we've taken too many risks at every level. So just don't be stupid. Learn from your mistakes. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff. If you can't score goals, sign a striker. If you concede a lot of goals, sign a defender. What are we doing? What am I doing talking about this? This is this is obvious. We'll move on from Chelsea to, to Nottingham Forest to talk about some of their financial fair play woes. Now, Paul, we know, of course, that Everton's point deduction was reduced from 10 points to six. How do you think most Forest fans are feeling now? Well, they're expecting six, aren't they? And I think that's that's the regular regulation that's been set. I mean, we all talked about the Everton points deduction. They've been hit with 10. And I thought it was harsh. It was an example of the Premier League proven that they don't need this independent regulator. All of a sudden, the independent regulator potentially comes in to sit over the Premier League. The Premier League show the teeth, they growl at Everton and go, right, we'll take 10 points off you for, for one breach. Um, then they have uh, an appeal and an independent a board look at, the, look at the appeal. They decide that 10's harsh and they decide that six is fair for the crime that they've committed. Nobody's saying that they're, they're not guilty of it, but that what they're guilty of is six points, uh, according to... Uh, the appeal. And that's the precedent that's been set. So now if Forrest and Everton are found guilty of the charges that they're, that's pending over them, then you would expect that Forrest and Everton will both be hit with a six-point charge. And I think that would be a disastrous issue for Nottingham Forest. They're not playing particularly well. I mean, they played okay last night against Man United. They were unlucky to lose in the cup. Um, they've got Liverpool at home on Saturday. I'm going to that game. Seen Forrest a few times. Defensively, they're far too poor. Has con concede too many goals. You look at the bottom of that league table, for me, Burnley and Sheffield United are done, regardless of anyone's points deductions. They've got not, not got enough points, not got enough wins. Those two are down. It's between three. It's going to be between Everton, Forest, and Luton as to who stays up. We've talked about this before so many times on this pod, though. I mean, it's, it's almost ridiculous, ludicrous, that the Premier League season could finish. The appeal process is still going on till halfway through the Euros at the end of the season. The season could finish. We could have teams thinking they're relegated, and then three, four weeks after the season's finished, the appeals are heard and points may get given back, points may not get given back, and we don't know where we're going to be. But this affects games as well. This affects mental attitude going into games. It affects how managers approach games. So managers down the bottom, if you manage Rob Edwards at Luton, at Everton, Sean Dyche, you might go to the last two games of the season thinking, right, we only need two points. Set your team up to get a draw away from home, look to win at home, however it pans out. You may set your team up in a way to try and get a certain amount of points. Two weeks later, you find out mm, you actually needed two wins instead of two draws. I mean, it just throws the whole league at the end of the season into a bit of a farce, to be honest. But Forrest and Everton are in trouble. And Alex, what have you made of the whole situation? Of course, we've now seen, like Paul's mentioned, we've now seen Everton go through that appeal. They got some points back. Forrest are going through the same thing. Everton have the second second charge to go. What have you made of, of this whole debacle in the Premier League? Difficult though, isn't it? Because you get... You know, any, any newly promoted side, I know Everton don't fit in that in that category. Um, and you obviously want to stay in the Premier League, so you have to invest, but you're restricted. And I think I, I do think that that's a strange that's a strange way of um 
of, of running the Premier League because you've got Newcastle who, who, who want to progress as well. I mean, they're, they're stepping on, um, you know, they're, they're almost crossing the line of FFP. You know, Chelsea, we get away with it because we generate a lot of income. But the, the reason we generate income is because of the money we invested 20 years ago. Um, so if you don't give other clubs a chance to do that, it is it is unfair. I mean, that, that that's that's the reality of it because you've got these owners who come in, they want to invest, and then they're restricted. Um, you know, th there was a time where owners would be criticised for not spending the money. Now you have people that want to spend the money, but they can't spend the money. So how does that work? And and also, how do you improve your league when you're not allowed to invest in new players? I mean, that that doesn't make much sense to me either. Um, I think I think that the points deduction from Everton was harsh. I think six points is fair. Um, but again, I, I would probably say from what I've heard about regulators, I, I do think the Premier League needs some form of, of help or some form of uh, supervision. Um, yeah, they've got, there's a lot going on and, and we just want to focus on the football. And it seems like every season there's more and more things that have nothing to do with football that are creeping in. Um, you know, I don't want football to get political, but you know, I, I could say as a Chelsea fan, the government get involved with your club. We have to change our ownership. I mean, if, if there was a regulator, potentially that might not have happened. Um, and uh, there's obviously going to be other situations at other clubs. So I can't say I'm an expert on the issue, but, um, you know, from Everton's standpoint, that seems fair. And from Forest, I mean, it's just unlucky, isn't it? You're, you're capped with what you can spend. And Paul, like you kind of mentioned in there, do you think the Premier League now are under pressure that actually if they if they give any if they give a different points deduction outcome, if, if they do anything harsher, actually it sets a benchmark in the Premier League or anything lower than Everton's could be actually seen as more favourable to them? Because as we know, as you've kind of mentioned, they are definitely teetering on that side of relegation. Yeah, I think, listen, the, the, the precedent's been set. I mean, it's it's one charge. Both clubs are facing one charge. I don't know about the severity of each charge, but I think obviously it's... You can't grade a charge on severity. You're either charged or you're not charged. And if you're found guilty of your charge, the precedence has been, seems to have been set with six points. I mean, you look at it from a Manchester City point of view, who have 100 plus charges. I mean, how many leagues could they fall through? I mean, you could still deduct Manchester City 40 points and they'd, they'd still finish in the Europa Conference League ahead of Chelsea. <laughs> <season>. <laughs> well, <laughs> but listen, I mean, it's, the precedence does seem to have been set. But I think that the thing with the Premier League is it's the timescale. It's the timing of this. I mean, how long the, the Everton appeal was heard, then why did we have to wait to hear the, the verdict of it? Why is everything so long and so drawn out? I mean, if if they, if they we know what's going on with Forrest. We know what's going on with Everton. Can somebody in an office somewhere not do a little bit of overtime and get it passed through a little bit quicker? I understand there's lawyers. I understand there's certain protocols and certain things that have to be done. But surely the only thing, I mean, I've said it a million times, you're punishing one thing and one thing only, and it's the fans and it's the supporters. It's the product that they're watching. It's the quality of the football they're watching on the pitch. Players are playing under different stress, different strains. The end of the season, fans are going to be going to Goodison Park. They're going to be going to the city ground. They're not going to know what result the team needs. Yes, we know that every team needs to win, but actually, is a draw good enough today? They're going to leave the ground going, oh, well, is it, well I don't know if a draw is good enough or how many points do we need to stay up? The fact that this is happening mid-season, for me, really gets to me. This should be done at either end of a season. Don't deduct a team points. I don't know the answer to this question. We've said it before. What is the punishment? How do you, do you, do you find a team that are getting uh, a charge against them for financial irregularities? Do you punish them financially even more? 
But don't punish the fans. Don't take points off the mid-season. If there is a points deduction, do it before the season starts. Have a structure where there's a, a, a judge, a jury in place. The decisions are made. But don't leave a season up in the air like this. I mean, what we're coming to now, everybody looks forward to the running towards the end of a season, whether it's a title race, whether it's the European places, whether it's relegation. Relegation often takes centre stage because the last few years we've not had that good of a title race. So relegation this season, from April onwards, we look forward to the running to the end of the season. But now we're not going to find out the Premier League table until the Euros kick off. It's... The timescale for me is the most frustrating thing and it's punishing the fans and it's punishing the fans halfway through the season, taking points off their team. Find them, find other ways of, of hurting the club because it's not the fans that make the decision on the financial irregularities. It's not the players who make the decisions. It's not the manager, but the people who get punished are the manager, the players and the fans during the season. Um, and let, me, let me ask you this, sorry. You know, it's interesting you talk about financial punishment, but if they were to do that with Man City, it wouldn't affect them. And they'd no, probably and that's why I, said, I, I don't know the answer to the question. I don't know what is a fair and what is a, a reflective punishment. But by you, you punish them financially by deducting points and letting them go into a different league. So I, I suppose that's a financial punishment in a way in itself anyway. But for me, a points deduction hurts the players, the fans and the manager a lot more than it hurts the, 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 the ownership of the club. Um, is, is it a, a punishment that fits the crime? I don't know. And Alex, what do you, if we talk about Manchester City, what do you make of that? So if their 115 alleged charges are proven, if it's 90, 60, how many it is, what is the punishment? What, what is it? Is it relegation? Is it obviously can't be liquidation, but what do they do? How do they, how do they solve it? What would you say? Down to the conference. <laughs> That's what I say. Not the <laughs> conference league. You laugh, but it happened to Rangers in Scotland. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that could happen, Alex? Do you think, do you think, they, do you think they could go down to the conference? Well, if, if they're guilty, I hope they go down. You know, that's how I feel. Um, you know, we, we when, when we spent our money, we did it. We did it within the rules of uh, of the game. Um, we were the pioneers and City took it to a different level. I mean, um, ultimately, you've got to stick to the rules, right? So, you know, I've got nothing against punishing clubs for, for not abiding by that. And as well, I mean, if you if you look at Chelsea, I mean, we, we've actually admitted that we've made mistakes. We've reported those I don't know whether that was to the Premier League or UEFA. It was, it was something. But that was under the Abramovich era. Um, so we we may still get punished as well. And if it is a points deduction, so be it. I mean, at least at least we're, we're being honest and we're admitting to our mistakes. Man City are clearly trying to cover their tracks. They're clearly, um, they must be nervous about the conclusion of this. But I don't know how long it's going to take. Because if, if it takes God knows how long for one charge, how long is it going to take for 115? Um but no, if if they're if they're good, then they should go down, and I would be more than happy to to see them do that. Really, that is, so that is the feeling, and is that and that's all rivalry aside. That is simply from a footballing point of view. Well, let, let's be honest. The Premier League hasn't been. I mean, Paul just said it. The title race has not been great recently over the past few years. Man City are steaming ahead in all competitions, and if and if we find out that they've done that from cheating, well, there you go. I mean, how's that for sportsmanship and? You know, rightly so. Other teams should should have, have, have won different trophies and, and they should be revoked of all the trophies they won during a period they've committed these crimes, um, which means that Mourinho might have won the Premier League with Man United. Arteta might have actually done it with Arsenal. <laughs> um, so it could completely change the outlook on uh, English football. Um, and, and, you know, I suppose as well from, from an English standpoint, the Premier League is obviously top dog. We know that. 
Um, but again, it, it's, it's there's so much money that goes into it. And I know La Liga is not what it was, but at least they, they have some rules in place and, and, and teams generally stick to them. And, you know, it's not nice to see Barcelona struggling and teams like that. I know Madrid, they obviously, they can spend a lot, but it's because they generate a lot as well. Um, it would be nice to see the Premier League try and even things out so it's a little bit more fair. And then hopefully we can see that spread across Europe because it is just a cesspit of money. And then what that means for, for Mexico and fans like myself, season ticket prices will go up, um, general tickets will go up, and ultimately we'll, we'll be the ones that have to pay more um, because of the inflation in the whole market. But what, what do you think? Do you think actually, uh, uh, do you think, relegation is very is down to the conference league actually a viable solution for the premier league or does it just damage the reputation and the product of the league that we've built over the last 15 20 25 years both but i think the the premier league have shown their teeth um and they've set a precedence like i said 10 points for everton harsh yeah very harsh down to six okay Manchester City, Alex quite rightly said there, they've been facing these charges for a long time. They've employed some of the best lawyers in the world. They've just been kicking the can down the road. But from a Manchester City point of view, and you listen to Manchester City, they're absolutely adamant that they've done nothing wrong. They're adamant they're going to fight these charges and they're adamant that they are going to be found innocent of all the charges, which is it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I mean, we can speculate on potential punishments. We can speculate on potential relegations and, and what would happen to them. But if you listen to it from a Manchester City side of things, they're very, very adamant and they're very strong in their wording that they haven't done anything wrong and they'll fight these charges. You know, whether you go back, if they are found guilty, I'm, I'm not a big in, in favour of stripping my titles of trophies and things like that. You can't ever take that away from players. You can't ever take that away from fans. And I think that going back and trying to change history, I think that's done. But I think if if they are found guilty of certain things, then there, there will be punishments that, 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 fit, that fall in line with other punishments. But this is going to be something that we're going to be talking about for quite a long time on here. And when it's, it does start coming to a head, it's not going to come to a, a, a quick conclusion. Yes, punishments do have to fall in line. Yes, there is potential of relegation, not just through one league, through two, through, through three leagues. And we've seen that with Rangers in Scotland. We've seen that with other teams. But there is another side to this story, and it's Manchester City's side to this story. And like I've said, they are adamant that they're going to fight this the whole way, and they've done nothing wrong. But... If you had to pinpoint, Paul, any players from the final that really stood out and impressed you, who would you say? Who came on and you thought, you know what, they look like a real star in the making? Well, they all did, didn't they? I mean, you look at the team that he picked last night against Southampton, just looking down at the team now, you look at the likes of the midfield, Elliot, Clark and McConnell. I mean, that's a Liverpool midfield that you wouldn't have expected to see. Bradley and Kumas up top. Um, Dan's got the goals. It's... The future's bright there, isn't it? Very, very bright. And I think the, the fact that Jurgen Klopp's been put in a situation with injuries, with players missing. And he's got to the point, not carefree, but he's actually got to the point and going, look, I'm going at the end of the season. I've almost got nothing to lose by playing these players, but these players have proven that they're good enough. And they've whether they've got their opportunity or not anyway, but he, he he's deemed that these players are good enough. With Jurgen Klopp moving on, what he's showing you, he's showing you that he's leaving this club and leaving this team in very, very good health. You know, there's a lot of talk last season. They didn't have the season we expected them to have. The rejuvenation of the squad, the players he's brought in. You look at the forward line. Yeah, there's talk whether Mohamed Salah is going to leave and go to the Saudi Pro League at the end of the season. If the manager leaves, then there's talk about Van Dijk as well. But then all of a sudden, the, the air of optimism from Liverpool fans now, you look at these young players that are coming through. This is not just a team that's built on short-term success that Jurgen Klopp's going to achieve in his last year. 
this is a team that's built on solid foundation with quality young players with, in the next few years, a couple of good quality additions around these players. They're going to be competing at the top of the Premier League for a long time, looking at what we've seen this week. Alex, were there any players that came on and impressed you and you thought, actually, yeah, a bit like Paul was saying in there, you actually thought real was real standouts? Well, I didn't know who half of them were, so I wouldn't be able to name them, um, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, it kind of <laughs> makes me embarrassed, really, knowing that, that we, we we lost to uh, to Liverpool. But um, it's interesting what you say, Paul, about Liverpool being left, you know, in, in good shape. I, I agree with that. But I would also say that, you know, the manager is is the protagonist of, of a club, ultimately. And, and when a, a new manager comes in a different culture... I think there's going to be a transition. I don't. I just don't see Liverpool being at the top straight away. I'm certainly not saying they're going to do a Chelsea. I mean that that's hard. Um, but you know, I, I think that whoever comes in is going to need a little bit of time to settle because um, obviously the the fans love Klopp. The owners like Klopp. They've got a great structure and and also Klopp has been very good to Liverpool with limited signings at times. We spoke about this last week. Who wants to be the next man in? Who wants to be the David Moyes after Fergie? Who wants to be the Unai Emery after Arsene Wenger? You don't want to be the next one in after Klopp. Yes, the club, the, the team are in a great place. But I think the job, if you pick up the baton from Klopp, we, we did a, a whole pod on this last week. It's it's a tough job, the next the next man in, because of the relationship that Klopp's got with the fans, what he's done with this team. Whoever comes in, it's not a given that they're going to get success straight away. Yes, the team are in good shape. They're in good hands, the, the age of the squad and everything else. But the next man in is the hardest job. You almost want to be the next one after the next man. Alex, you spoke briefly earlier on about, about Poch not being a tactician. Well, I'm intrigued to get your opinion because one of the names, the standout names of this season has been Connor Bradley for Liverpool. He was unbelievable on Sunday, really good again last night against Southampton. Really, I'd say the, the talking point for this season for Liverpool going forwards. When Trent comes back and is fit, do you think actually that Trent should be moved into midfield and Bradley stays at right back? Because, or And, and again, you've spoken even about Chelsea from that point of view, about let, not letting young players step in the team because there are players ahead of them. Where do you see that for Liverpool? Well, I mean, if, if you've got injury problems, um, you know, you, you've still got good good midfielders out. I think Sabozlai's out. Um, I, I can't remember who else is injured. Um, then then there's, there's going to be space. So if, if Trent is able to go in that midfield, we know he can contribute uh, goals and assists when he's as a right back. So why can't he do that uh, when he's pushed a little bit further up the pitch? The only thing that I would say is, you know, you'd have to play him slightly deeper so he can keep whipping in those crosses. Um, you know, if you play him centrally, I don't see how you get the best out of Trent. So you you will have to push him out a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, Bradley's a good player, isn't he? I, again, I don't know enough about him. I've seen him play twice. Uh, yeah, twice, both against Chelsea. And, you know, he's very, very good at Anfield and, um, you know, good in the good in the cup final as well. Um the, the main thing is trust, isn't it? And 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 the manager's given these young players trust. And even before injuries, I think Bradley was was given an opportunity. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just it's painful to see that a team like <laughs> Liverpool, even with the injuries, uh, are still kicking on strong, whereas we're spending all this money and we're going backwards. And Paul, one name to mention, Harvey Elliott. He really has been a level above, I think, the other players in the squad. But that really has been down to game time and how involved he's been in the first team. Really good to see him flourishing and actually really stepping up to that level and filling in for or deputising for those that aren't available. How high is his ceiling? Where do you think he could get to potentially? 
Well, you've seen already. I mean, he can be a top Premier League player. That he's he's getting there, or he's getting there now. But I think what he is in that dressing room is an example to the others. So you see where he's come from, and you see the opportunities that he's getting, and the game time that he's getting, and that the manager's not afraid to use him and afraid to play him. And it shows the others in the dressing room that there is a development plan, there's a development line, and if you're good enough and you get the opportunities, you will get the opportunity to play. And yeah, he's 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 capable of being a Liverpool regular for for the for a long time. Um, but I think the the big thing is the influence and the example in the dressing room to other youngsters that have followed and will follow the the same path and development. Jaden Dans came on in the uh, in the Carabao Cup final. Alex looked really strong. Scored a brace last night against Southampton. Really looks like again another standout star from from that young young side that are really coming through for Liverpool. He scored at the cop end, which is amazing, given he's a scouser. And he actually said afterwards it felt like a movie scoring. So how big of a confidence think that or confidence boost that'll be for him? Because he did when he came on against Chelsea. He looked really lively. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I don't know who he is. You know, um, honestly, yeah, I mean, fair play to him. He's 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 obviously doing well, but I've never heard of him. Never heard of him before the cup final. Um, I mean, did he get any minutes before that? He came on, he he, he had one feature. He came on in like the 89th minute, so he, he's played once. Okay. I mean, I mean, fair play. You know, he's a, he's a young player living out the dream at Liverpool. Um when the when the when 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 the starting 11's fit and available, I, I'm very much doubtful that he'll stay in the squad. But you know, it's a, it's a good progression, isn't it? If you have a fast start, then you tend to be given a little bit more patience when things eventually slow down, um, which is always nice to see. I think you see a lot of young players being embedded into a squad, um, and it doesn't necessarily click straight away. But because of their age, and because of you know, because the fans are a little bit more patient with these young players and the manager as well. You know, there's not there's not an awful lot of criticism. So if you start well, I think you're setting yourself up for a good future as well. Um, because ultimately, minutes are going to be li- limited at a side like Liverpool when when the main players come back. I mean, where does he play? Midfield or he's a, he's a number nine. He's a striker. He's a striker. There you go. So when um, when Nunes comes back, when Jota comes back, I mean, I can't see him him getting too many minutes, but. Uh, if he's if he's playing for a new contract, I don't know how many deals he's got left. Then you know he's certainly doing a good job. And Paul, sort of to wrap up, do you think actually looking at that side now, really Liverpool nearly have a full starting eleven of youngsters who could come in and and step in and sort of do do a job for the squad for the first team? Do they have one of the strongest academies as it stands in the Premier League? Yeah, they do. But Alex is right what he says. I mean, when you look at the first team players, you look there are thirteen first team players last night that were unavailable to the manager under the weekend in the Carabao Cup final. When you look at the quality of the players, the experience of the players, those young players are going to find it tough to break into the side. And it's a balancing act for the manager next season as to what players he's going to integrate into his squad, what players are going to get minutes and what value are the players going to be to stay at Liverpool training with the first team? Or is there going to be value in like we've seen young players before been sent out to other leagues, been sent out to the Belgian league, been sent out to the Dutch league, been sent out to the Bundesliga to, to play at a high level and get games and get minutes? There's going to be a, a balance between what youngsters they keep in the squad next season and what youngsters actually need and will benefit from going to get minutes playing at the top level around Europe, not necessarily in the Premier League. That was absolutely excellent. So much gossip and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to Paul Robinson and Alex Harris for their expert analysis and detail on all the stories covering so many clubs. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media wherever you can. And any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment as well as subscribing to the channel. I'm Lewis Piers and we'll speak to you all on the next show here on the Inside Track.